Thanks for tuning in to the Sojourn Church Podcast. We are a church committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. For more information, visit our website, sojournpdx.org. Well, good morning, Sojourn. It is great to be able to gather as a church family again. If you're new with us, perhaps joining us online, my name is Matt, and I'm the lead pastor here at Sojourn Church. And we're just thankful that you've chosen to spend part of your weekend with us. Uh, we have a digital uh, visitor kind of connect card on our website. So if you go to sojournpdx.org, it should actually pop up, say it'll say something like new here. We'd love for you to fill that out just so we get to know who you are and so that we can serve you better. This is our third week of Advent. It's amazing how the weeks just continue to go by. We're dealing with just a couple more weeks left in the year. And, and Advent, if you're not familiar with it, it's this time of expected waiting and preparation for the nativity of Jesus at his first uh, arrival, at his birth, which we celebrate as Christians worldwide during this time of year. And then it's also this advent of we are anticipating and longing for the second coming of Christ, which we look forward to in the future. During this advent season, we have been studying through the book of Ruth, which is one of the greatest short stories of all time. I don't know about you guys, but I've been loving studying through this story the last couple of weeks. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open them or open the app on your phone and find the book of Ruth. It is in the Old Testament. It's about halfway through. Uh, so uh, find the book of Ruth where we'll be in chapter 3. And this week we'll be looking at verses 1 through 18, which Crystal just read for us a few minutes ago. We have titled this series Redeemer because each week we have been looking at the providence of God. I mean, the, just the providence of God is all over this story where it might seem like happenstance and just random chance and luck, but it's actually the providence of God and we've seen how the story of Ruth actually points us to the coming Redeemer in Jesus, which is why we've chosen this story for Advent. I shared this week, I was having lunch with a future uh, church planter to Portland and told him what we're studying through. He said, that seems like an odd place for an Advent series. And I said, well, it is a little different because we typically think of being somewhere in the New Testament, but that this story points us to the coming Redeemer in Jesus. Now, I'm going to give us just a brief recap in case you missed week one or if you missed week two and just kind of give us a high-level view of where we are in this story before we get into week three. The first week, we saw this idea of a painful providence. We were introduced to three women, Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah, who were all left widowed. There was a famine in the land, which represented that God's judgment was, was happening as this were some of the darkest days in Israel's history. At this time, it said everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Ruth showed her loyalty to Naomi by traveling with her to seek provision, whereas Orpah eventually went on her own way. And the chapter ended. It gave us this glimpse. It was a small one, but a glimpse of hope and the hope that we were longing for. And then last week, our second week, we saw God's providential kindness. We see Ruth and Naomi, they needed provision for food. And so what does Ruth do? Ruth goes out to the barley fields to glean. Here we find a poor widow, a sojourner, and these were the three types of people who were allowed to glean in the fields. She just so happens, or at least it seemed like it was so happens, to go into the field of a relative of Naomi by a man by the name of Boaz. And Boaz, we learn, he is what they call a kinsman redeemer. In other words, he is one of the few people who can actually provide for Naomi and Ruth in the immediacy but we'll see that he can also continue their family line if he so chooses to. And we're going to kind of build upon that idea further this week. 
Boaz was described as a worthy man. He's a man who reflects the kindness of God through his loyalty, through his mercy, and through his faithfulness. We see that Boaz and Ruth essentially have their first date during a lunch break. And Boaz instructs his workers to not only let Ruth pick up the leftover, but actually give some of their crop from, from what they have gathered over to Ruth. Ruth returns home at the end of the story and of course, like any mother-in-law, like, give me the gory details. What, what happened? Tell me about your date with Boaz. And she gives Naomi the leftovers from her lunch. And then she also says, look at this amount that I have brought back from the harvest. Now, Naomi, likely shocked at what Ruth returned home with, asked, in whose field did you glean? Who has been so kind to provide for you? And when she learned it was Boaz, here's how she responded. She said, may he be blessed by the Lord. The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. The chapter ends with Ruth still being widowed. She's still technically single, even though they have gone on a lunch date. But we saw how this concept of redemption is central to the story of the Bible, and it's also central to this book of Ruth. And Ruth, really what it does for us, it contributes to our understanding of redemption by giving us a concrete example of it. And then we finished last week by seeing that the posture of Ruth to Boaz, if you remember chapter 2, verse 10, and how she points us and our hearts in the right direction towards our posture, towards Jesus as our Redeemer. We saw that she fell before her, before him, and so that we said that we should fall before our knees in worship of Jesus, the one who's shown us grace and kindness when we did not deserve it. And so this brings us this week to our third chapter, our third scene in this narrative, which Crystal read for us at the very beginning. And so just like we've done each week, we won't go into each and every single verse, but we will kind of do an overview and we will highlight some of the verses in chapter 3. And what we saw here is we see that Ruth is at the threshing floor of Boaz, and, and Boaz, she asked Boaz to marry her. And so she was kind of non-traditional for the day. She just said, I'm not going to wait around for a proposal from him. I'm going to go ahead and propose. Now, this scene is going to depict for us a second crucial encounter between Ruth and Boaz, and it's going to be framed by this recurrence of hearing him refer to her as my daughter. Now, today, there are many ways that singles try to connect with other singles. I know there's all kinds of apps and websites, but Ruth didn't have that option. There was no Bethlehem Bachelor TV show for her to go on to try and find a future spouse. Besides, if she had had an app like that, or there were a Bachelor in Bethlehem for her TV show, how would someone respond to the ad of Ruth saying, I'm a single widow, and by the way, my mother-in-law from my first marriage actually comes with the package deal. I don't know many single guys out there who are looking for both a wife and a, a mother-in-law um, from a first marriage that come as a package deal. So here's what we're going to see today in this story, or this section of the story. We're going to see that Naomi, her mother-in-law, comes in and she's devised a plan. Because now that she knows that Boaz is a kinsman redeemer, and that, that is the field where she's leaning, she said, I've got a plan for you. Now, this plan is going to lead to Ruth's proposal of Boaz. And we're going to see that Boaz is going to respond. He's going to respond with a promise to Ruth. And then his promise is that he will provide for her, but not only for her, but also for Naomi. Now, I think it's important before we get into these actual verses that we look at the time of the events and how they took place. We see that Naomi devises her plan in the evening. Okay, so I want us to pay attention to that, what time of day that it was. And, and Ruth makes her move around midnight. Now, she must be from Argentina because I don't know many of you who are up at midnight and actually going out of your house. In Argentina, this is a very normal. They eat dinner at 10 o'clock and they'd be out. So Ruth must be from Argentina. 
But Boaz's provision and Naomi's evaluations of things must happen the next morning. So we see it happens in the evening, uh, very late after midnight, but then the provision of things and the evaluation of things actually happen the next morning. And the way this story unfolds for us this week, it's like watching a movie where we're actually going to have to skip a few scenes if my three children are watching with us. This is a part of the story that's filled with suspense, and there are all kinds of risk and consequences involved here. And so before we get into the story, it's important to remember a few things when we're studying Scripture. First, a basic rule in biblical interpretation, specifically with narratives, is that they're not always normative. And so sometimes we read something like this, and in a narrative, things that are often descriptive of the events themselves as they took place in their context at this time are not necessarily prescriptive. In other words, these are not necessarily actions that we are to go and to mimic. I don't have any daughters, but I cringe at the thought of the idea of how Naomi advised Ruth to act in this part of the story. Now, to be certain, there are applications for every single one of us, but we must take them wisely with all of Scripture in view. Second, the story is full of suspense, and not every detail is going to be explained fully. There's going to be some parts that we go, I want more details. I need to know more before I can make an informed decision. But we're not told everything. And some things we simply just will not understand because we're not in that same context today. So what we must do is we must focus on what is clear. We must focus on what is applicable to us while avoiding speculations and assumptions. And then the third thing when we're doing a biblical interpretation of a narrative is that the sensuality in this story, in, in this section... It's going to make some of us uncomfortable, but this is the very intention that we need to be feeling. It's important because it highlights the purity of both Ruth and Boaz. We see the other Old Testament stories. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, if you've studied it much, that um, a story like this, a section like this would have led to sexual immorality. But in Ruth and Boaz, what we're given is a much needed example of godliness in their time and in our time. When it, and it's in their time was right in their own eyes. I would say that we're in that same phase today that everyone in Portland is what's right in their own eyes. And so we get this really godly example of both Ruth and Boaz, which we desperately need. And so the story begins with Naomi's plan. So if you will, go ahead and look back at verses one through five with me. It says, then Naomi, her mother-in-law said to her, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you? That it may be well with you. Is not Boaz a relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. So here we are. Our opening five verses of chapter three are way different than our opening five verses of chapter one. We find a rejuvenated Naomi and she's expressing her desire to find Ruth a husband. Naomi is now on a mission. Her plan involves Ruth initiating a meeting with Boaz. Now, an important point for us is that we do not see the characters in this story slip into passivity, but rather they are active as they trust in God's sovereignty and providence. What I mean by that is we must not mistake in God's sovereignty and that God is providentially in control as an opportunity for us just to sit back and not do anything. I think about this pandemic. I think about 2021 and Sojourners making plans for us as a church and a church plant that we're not going, well, we can't do anything about it. No, we are actively planning forward as we trust that God is sovereign and providence, providential 
over everything that's going to happen in the coming year, just like he was this year, even if we don't understand what has taken place. Now, Naomi reminds Ruth that Boaz is a relative. So in case you forgot, he is a relative, and he, she informs her that he will be winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Now, we're not really sure how uh, Naomi knew all these details, but apparently she'd been picking up the phone or she was on a text group saying, where is Boaz going to be tonight? What is he going to be doing? And he was, she was strategically looking for the right to send Ruth to go and um, put her plan into action. And now, the threshing floor was a place where farmers would winnow. They would separate the grain from the chaff and where after all the grain had been gathered. Now, these threshing floors, so we can understand this, they were very communal places. They were offered, shared by members of the village, and these were places of joy and celebration because the work of threshing meant that the harvest had come in. So if you remember, we were in a time of famine, and now it looks like we kind of fast forward and we're past that. The harvest has come in, and the threshing floor was also a place associated with a lot of immoral behavior. Because uh, so, you got to think, people are celebrating, they're happy, but people are also like just going crazy and wild, Think about some of the Christmas parties we normally see at this time of year. Sometimes we see that at the, the end of year that people do celebrations. Probably not this year because of our pandemic. But um, these were often associated with a lot of immoral behavior, including a lot of prostitution. But Naomi sees the right opportunity for Ruth to go to have a special meeting with Boaz, despite the dangerous nature of the setting. And so Naomi comes in, in these first five verses, specifically around verse 3 and 4, and she provides seven specific instructions. So I want us to pay attention to these. She says, first, take a bath. Now, this is always a good idea, especially if you're single and you're pursuing a spouse. If you're going on a date, whether it's a blind date or whether you know the person, take a bath. I mean, when I go out with my wife, she likes it that I'm fresh. I've had a shower. Her second piece of advice, she says, put on some perfume. In other words, put in some effort for this date. Go above and beyond. Her third piece of advice, she says, put on some fresh clothes. Now, this is always a good idea when you're going to go and propose. Now, I would say in the church that we'd say character is more important than looks. We agree with that. But we should care about our appearance. Singles, if you actually want to get the attention of another single, put in a little bit of effort. I know that we're in the city of Portland and uh, we used to be grungy and we're, we're full of hipsters and we wear rolled up jeans and flannels and jean on jean and whatever, we don't care, but still put in some effort style you fall into, it's going to go a long way. The fourth piece of advice, she said, visit Boaz at the threshing floor when he is in a good mood. In other words, she said, Ruth, wait until he's finished eating and drinking. Ladies, that's always a good idea. If you're going to pursue a guy, wait until he's finished eating and drinking. So we see Boaz, he's had some good food, his belly's full, he's had a sip of wine, so Boaz is relaxed. Remember, the backdrop of the opening of Ruth was a famine, but now there is plenty, and we see them celebrating, and, and Boaz is enjoying the, the harvest, the plentiful harvest. And we're told in verse 7 that his heart was merry. We hear a lot of that, that word this time of year. Now, this is an important point for us, because some people wrongly believe that in order to pursue holiness, that we must abandon all pleasure. But that's simply not true. It's a matter of finding your ultimate pleasure in God, which I believe we see Boaz doing. But the, the, this is the God who gives everything for our enjoyment. So Boaz is still saying, man, I'm going to enjoy a, a meal, and he, he said, I'm going to enjoy good food and good drink, but I find my ultimate pleasure in God, and God is the one who has provided this for me. The fifth piece of advice that Naomi gives to Ruth, she says, observe where Boaz lies down. 
Now, this is when we're getting into a little bit of the sensuality in this story. Now, Ruth definitely needs to follow this step because she wants to make sure that it's Boaz. If she's going to follow some guy where he lies down for the night, you want to make sure that's the right guy that you're pursuing. I mean, it's going to be awkward enough, but it's going to be even more awkward if you realize it's not the right individual. Now, the sixth piece of advice. Uncover Boaz's feet and lie down close to him. At this point, I'm thinking, what, what in the world? So we can kind of sense the tensions in these instructions. I mean, if I am Ruth and Naomi's telling me, this is when my heart's starting to, starting to um, go really fast. My palms are starting to get a little bit sweaty. And I'm thinking, how in the world am I going to uncover this individual's feet and then lie down next to them? But the purpose of such a sensual gesture is it's, it's intended to communicate something to Boaz, clearly. But before we get our 2020 mindset, it seems it's a non-verbal gesture that was a customary way at this time. So once again, this isn't um, descriptive of what we're supposed to go and be doing. It's, it's describing what happened in this day and age. And in other words, this is the way that you go and you would request marriage. And then the seventh and final piece that Naomi told Ruth was listen to Boaz's instructions. That Boaz will tell you what to do. So in verse 5, we read of Ruth's remarkable commitment to the plan. Ruth hears all these things. I think I can think of at least half of those that I'm thinking, no way, I am not going to do this. But Ruth hears all those things and she says, all that you say, I will do. This is a picture of Ruth's loyalty and courage. She has not, she's not wayward, gone wayward from her initial loyalty to Naomi. And we see that Naomi has devised this plan. And since she has identified Boaz and as a redeemer, she clearly believes that Ruth's chance of marriage are increased by his relationship to the family. In other words, once Boaz learns that there's a family connection, that he is a kinsman redeemer, I think your chances are very high of you two ending up together. So she's kind of playing a matchmaker here. But harvest time is coming past, and Boaz has yet to make a move. In other words, they're kind of going, all right, the clock's running out here because he knows now that he's a kinsman redeemer. You are at the harvest. The harvest come past. We're now celebrating. But Boaz is kind of, maybe kind of slow to the game here. And he hasn't actually made this move yet. And so Naomi says, I'm going to take some things into my own hands. And she comes up with, with really what is a risky plan. It's risky because think about it. If Boaz is kind of groggy, maybe he did have too much to drink or he's just sleepy, he can respond harshly. I mean, put yourself on Boaz's shoes. I can see him like, what, what are you doing? I, I just fell asleep. Why are you crawling into the bed with me? He could accuse Ruth of acting like a prostitute, and he could even shame her publicly. Perhaps most significant is that Boaz might interpret Ruth's action as a license to sin. He might, he might get tempted himself and say, man, well, I'm going to justify abuse and sexual sin because she's already laying here next to me. It's kind of her own fault. Yes, there are great risks involved, but Naomi and Ruth, what do they do? They both display an enormous amount of trust in the integrity of Boaz. Remember, Boaz is described as a worthy man. So they're not worried about any of those things. Yes, they think about the risk involved, the nature of associated with an event like this, but they know that he is a man of integrity. Now, sure, there are actions, aspects of this plan that I do not advise to you single, whether you're a man or a woman. I wouldn't tell any of you to go and cover someone's foot and lie down next to them. I think that can lead to some very dangerous things. But the riskiness of this plan by Naomi serves to expose one thing that would determine if the plan is secure. Boaz. It all depends on Boaz and his reaction. This plan ultimately does not depend on Naomi. This plan does not ultimately depend on Ruth, but on Boaz and him alone and how he chooses to respond. If he chooses to respond, he may choose to not act at all. 
The same is true for us as Christian believers today. As we make plans individually for our lives and for our families, and as we make plans together as a church, we were just doing that in our gospel community this week, as we're coming up with strategies of, of ministry. We think, how is it we're going to continue to reach the city of Portland in 2021? And to make, we want to make good and godly decisions. We want to make decisions with wisdom for our lives and for our church. But must we not forget that the one on whom everything depends ultimately, if we are successful or not, is the Lord Jesus. You guys know this. That's been a really big challenge for me as a church planter. I, 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 you know, I rely on Jesus and we, we proclaim Jesus build your church. But a lot of times I, I've acted as if it depends on Matt and Matt's church. But ultimately, all the plans that we're talking about, all of our methodologies that we're talking about depend on the Lord Jesus Christ, which is why we seek the Lord, why we pray the Lord that he would go before us and our steps would be in line with his. Because we, as the people of God, as sojourn church, we are called to live in such a way that our lives depend on the kindness and the integrity and the redeeming power of the Lord Jesus. And to the extent that we know that we can trust him, that we will take risk in our lives for him to further his kingdom. This is why my family lives here. This is why many of you live here. This is why Sojourn Church exists. I think about even this month, our Christmas missions offering. Anything that we bring in internally, we're just giving it away. We're giving it away for some local causes and for some global causes. I think that's a risk, but our posture in doing that is to say that we've been blessed, that God's given so much to us that we want to give back to others and that we're trusting he's going to continue to provide for us beyond this month. Tony Morita in his um, new commentary on the book of Ruth, he says, when we see him as he is, the perfect Boaz, come on Jesus, a redeemer and a bridegroom of perfect kindness and integrity, then we can joyfully lean on his character, living in a way that only makes sense because he is who he is. So we see now in the first five verses that the plans have been put together. Ruth has gone to the threshing floor and just as her mother-in-law had commanded her, and now we're about to see Ruth's proposal. So let's pick up in verse seven. It says, and when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. So we see Ruth goes to the threshing floor as she's been instructed to do. Boaz is full of food and drink. He is merry. In other words, he's kind of jolly. He's in a good mood. And he says, I'm going to lie down for the night. You know, you're kind of at the end of the Christmas party. You say, I'm going to, I'm going to lie down for the night. My heart is full. I've got to enjoy good food and good drink and good company. And did you catch what verse 7 says, though? It says, she came softly. So I don't know if she's like tiptoeing up to his bed or what that looked like. But she uncovered his feet. I can think sometimes if Andrea goes to bed earlier than I do, she's a light sleeper. So I'm like tiptoeing in the room. I kind of kind of slowly undo the covers so I can slip into the bed. So she came softly. She uncovered his feet and she lay down. Okay. I laughed out loud when I first read that this week as I was preparing for this message. We can feel the tension of Boaz as Boaz starts to feel the air on his feet. You're thinking, what? how in the world does this blanket just get lifted up? I mean, just put yourself in Boaz's shoes for a minute. How would you react to this situation? Put yourself back to when you were single. You just put in a full day of work. You've had a full meal, and now it's time to take a rest. Suddenly you wake up, you've got cold feet, and you find a woman lying next to you. Like, how would you respond to this? Now, it doesn't tell us if Boaz whispered, or if he yelled, or if he was startled, but verse 9 tells us here's how he responded. Who are you? That's a normal response. And she answered, I am Ruth, 
your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Ruth doesn't fully follow Naomi's plan because she doesn't wait for Boaz's instruction, but instead she takes initiative. I can imagine Ruth's really nervous. So I can imagine the feet come uncovered. She lies down next to him and she's thinking, okay, it didn't happen immediately. I've got to take action into my own hand. Naomi didn't guide me what to do if he doesn't respond immediately. And so she doesn't wait for the proposal from Boaz. Instead, she proposes to Boaz when she says, spread your wings over your servant for you are a redeemer. She's reminding him and she's proposing to him. In other words, Ruth isn't showing up and lying down next to him. She's not interested in a one-night stand. But she uses what is known as an idiom for marriage. Boaz has used the same expression in chapter 2 to describe how Ruth sought refuge under the wings of Yahweh. And now Ruth is asking Boaz to become part of God's protection and provision in her life. So Ruth reminds Boaz. She says, you are a redeemer. In other words, she's kind of nudging him towards the opportunity of coming to their aid. But we must remember that he is a redeemer. He's not the only redeemer. He is a redeemer because there is one closer relative who, if he chooses, could come to their aid first. Daniel Block, on his commentary of Judges and Ruth, he says, Here's a servant demanding that the boss marry her, a Moabite making the demand of an Israelite, a woman making the demand of a man, a poor person making the demand of a rich man, was this an act of a foreigner naivety or a daughter-in-law's devotion to her mother-in-law or another side of the hidden hand of God? From a natural perspective, the scheme was doomed from the very beginning as a hopeless gamble. And the responsibility that Naomi placed on Ruth was quite unreasonable, but it worked. This plan seemed like it was doomed to fail from the very beginning but here we see it being pulled off. Now, before Boaz gives Ruth any type of answer, he blesses Ruth, and then he gives her a promise. Look at verse 10 and 11. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than your first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And so we see that Boaz blesses Ruth, and he takes note that she hasn't gone after young men. In other words, he's noticed that you could have gone a very different path. I imagine Ruth's a beautiful woman, and she had lots of other opportunities, but he noticed that that, is, that was not her motivation and her priority. And so he promises to do all that she has asked, and he tells her to not fear. Now, just as it seems that their fate is secure, we're on the edge of our seats as we watch the movie and the story unfold and the love story is happening. They're coming together. Boaz raises a problem in verse 12. It says, now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. So the happy ending that we're all longing for has been put on hold by Boaz. He instructs Ruth to remain there for the night and says, if this closer relative is willing to redeem her, then good. He doesn't seem worried. He seems secure in his, in his manhood and his chances with Ruth. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then I will redeem you. Jump down to verse 14. This is where we see Boaz's provision. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. So we see Ruth remained there all night as instructed. 
Now, there's nothing in the text to indicate that there was any sinful activity that took place. Some have wrongly kind of jumped to conclusions. The story does not tell us that, so there's no reason for us to believe that. And in the morning, Boaz, again, he extends grace to Ruth by allowing her to get up early in the morning before anyone could really recognize who anyone was. And he does this in order to preserve her dignity and her reputation. And not, he doesn't just send her home alone, though. He sends her with a gift that's the equivalent of 60 to 90 pounds of barley, which she carries in her garment. He says, spread out your garment. We're not told what the garment is, but this garment apparently was a strong garment in order to carry 60 to 90 pounds of barley. We don't know if she carried it on her back or on her head or, or how she carried it, but she carried it all the way home. In other words, Ruth is a very strong, she's a physically strong woman. Boaz was showing his commitment of provision for two widows. So this gift would have provided an explanation for why Ruth was at Boaz's threshing floor. In other words, if someone did see her, instead of them accusing her maybe what they thought she was doing, being promiscuous, she could say, look, I needed food and I was food was provided. But this was also a symbolic provision. This was Boaz's way of communicating to Naomi that everything's going to be okay, that I am going to be the kinsman redeemer. I am going to provide for not only Ruth, but for you as well. And we see Ruth returns to Naomi. She's eager to hear how things went. You know, once again, you kind of give me the gory details and not gossip, but what happened? How was the date? How was the plan? Did it, did it work? And so look at verse 16, 17. It says, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. So Ruth wants, I mean, Naomi wants to know, how did the plan work out? Ruth says, here's everything that Boaz has done. And we even see that Boaz is so serious in his pursuit of Ruth that it includes him caring for her mother-in-law as well, which is why he sent such an extravagant gift. And so we've watched from chapter one to chapter three, we've even witnessed Naomi's journey from emptiness to fullness. Remember, she was left with nothing. Her sons were dead. Her husband was dead. The family was in the land. She had no food. She had no provision. And here we are at the end of chapter three, and we see that she is now about to have her family line extended again. She's about to see that, that Boaz is going to enter into the family. And she's also being provided for. So we see her go from emptiness to fullness. And then finally, look at our final verse, 18. She replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how that matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matters today. So Naomi trusts Boaz here to resolve the complication of there being another family member. So she quickly urges Ruth to stay put, just be patient. She doesn't seem to have any worry or concern that's not going to work out. And it's important for us to note that this is actually the last time that we hear of Ruth and Naomi. We don't hear them speak at all in chapter four. They are present, but there's, they're not, there's no speaking roles, so to speak. But we're going to see that Boaz will take center stage as the resolution to the crisis of the family line. And behind it all, we see the hidden hand of God accomplishing his sovereign purpose. And so as we move towards our conclusion this week, similar to last week, I want us to continue to build off this idea of our Redeemer. The whole reason we've titled this whole series Redeemer. We see that in the first part of chapter 3, we see Naomi makes this plan, which depended on the trustworthiness of, and the integrity of Boaz. A lot depends. A lot is riding on Boaz and his response for this plan to go through. Next, we saw Ruth go beyond that plan with her bold proposal to Boaz. She not only trusted him to do the right thing, but she showed her desire to pursue him and to look after her mother-in-law. 
He promises to help and he sends Ruth away with the provision of grain that hints at the future provision to come. Now here's where I really want to hone in on these last couple of minutes here. This is similar to how the Lord has dealt with us. How the Lord has dealt with you. How the Lord has dealt with me. We can be like Ruth. We can go to him respectfully but boldly to ask him to spread his wings over us and to redeem us. And if you're not in Christ, let me go ahead and tell you, this is your only hope for eternity. This is your only hope for the future. Jesus has made this promise that all who call on his name will become part of his bride, the church. If you call on his name today, you can become his son. If you call on his name today, you can become his daughter. You can cry out to him and say, Jesus, spread your wings over me. Now, that seems like funny terminology we would say today, but using the terminology that Ruth used in this chapter. But we say, Jesus, spread your love and your grace, your redeeming salvation over me. Clothe me in your grace and your mercy. Allow me to become part of your kingdom, become a son and daughter of you, part of your church. And we see that Jesus has given the, the most wonderful provision. He's given us the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, the first fruits which promises more to come, assuring us of the redemption of our bodies. We see that Ruth came to Boaz and she asked for what she needed, which was ultimately a redeemer. And when we come to Christ, we too can ask for the redemption and provision that we are all so desperate for. See, Jesus already knows our need. Jesus has already seen your need. So we can come helpless at his feet and, he, and know that he has already paid the price for us. We see that Jesus has spread his robes of righteousness over us and he has made us his own if you are in him. And if you're not in him, it's not too late. If you're not in him, that's why you're probably listening to this sermon this morning. That God and his gracious kindness is giving you one more opportunity to respond to his provision because he wants you as part of his kingdom. And there's no better gift that you could receive this Christmas season than to become a follower of Jesus. You know that Jesus who has given us good gifts Supremely, the gift of the Holy Spirit. He's done all that we could ever ask him to do for us and will continue to do all that we ever need him to do. And the reality is that just like Ruth did not necessarily, she didn't deserve this kindness that was bestowed upon her from Boaz, there's nothing that you or I have done that deserves this kindness. All that we've done is we deserve condemnation. We deserve separation from God, but God so loved us that he sent a redeemer a baby Jesus at this time of year that we celebrate and we sing songs of praise to him and that he gave you an opportunity to fall in love with Jesus. Jesus who grew up and lived a perfect life. He lived a sinless life, something that you and I can't do for a single day. And then he went, he didn't stay as a baby, he didn't stay as a man, he went to the cross. And he died for your sin and for my sin so that we may be redeemed. Because he is our redeemer. He is our only hope. And that is what the Christmas story is about, Sojourn Church. It's not only about this baby who came to be born, but it's also about that baby who grew up and died on your behalf and my behalf and who raised again to new life. And so I would invite you to respond this morning. Our redeemer has changed everything. You know, I think about forward already to Easter and quite literally, if this message is true, it changes everything. It should change the way that we live. It should change our marriages. It should change our way we parent and our friendships and our relationships and the type of neighbors that we are, the type of American citizens that we are, just the type of people we are in the world because our Redeemer has changed everything.
He has changed our status. We went from dead to life. We went from sinner to saint. And he's brought us into an intimate union with himself. And he's given us this glorious hope for the future. And so you may have found yourself at your wits ends this, this time of year. You may say 2020 has just been awful. You may, know, no, you may not even see how you can continue on to the next year. Well, here's how you can do it. Here's how you can do it. Here's how you're given a glorious hope for the future, that your future well, is in Jesus Christ. And so if you're not in Christ, I, my advice to you today is come to Jesus. Come to Jesus today because he has come, he has lived, he has died, and he is the redeemer of the world. And regardless if you are in Christ, if you're not in Christ, we're going to sing praise to that end. I'm going to pray for a sojourn and Joseph's going to come back up and we're going to sing some of those praise of songs that we sing to Jesus in worship. And that is going to be the posture of our hearts as we turn our eyes towards our Redeemer this morning. Let me pray for us, church. King Jesus, we're thankful that we can gather together as your church, whether it's online or at a stamp building. God, that we can take a hour out of our day, out of our week, to set aside, to re-posture our hearts, to recenter our hearts on you. God, as we see your redeeming grace in our lives, God, we've seen this, this beautiful story the last few weeks of Boaz being this redeemer for Ruth and for Naomi, and that God, in the same way, you are our redeemer, that you sent Jesus to redeem us because you didn't want us to stay in our own filth and mess of sin where we found ourselves. So God, I pray for everyone tuning in this morning. God, for those of us who already love you, that if there's any area of sin in our lives, God, that we'd give that over to you and that we'd be reminded again of our need for you and that we can turn our eyes towards you, our Redeemer. The best gift that we've ever been given that we celebrate not only Christmas, but all year round. And God, for those of you tuning in who, who don't know you, that this morning would be the day that they give their lives over to you. That this morning they would receive that gift of salvation and realize that their only hope for the ultimate future, for all of eternity, is in Jesus, the Redeemer. We love you, Lord. We give this time over to you. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. You can connect with us and find more available teachings and resources at our website, sojournpdx.org.